0: Hi, thanks for tuning in to our Patreon exclusive uh, Patreon episode for you exclusive patrons of this podcast. This was a thing hosted by me, Ray Hebel, and my co-host and love, Rob Schneider, Robert W. Schneider. We're here today with friend of the show and history buff. <laughs> this is going so well. Brody Karn, Esquire. Hey. <laughs> that's, that's impressive and you're off book too. See, we're Rob likes to
1: keep his short and sweet.
0: I like to just make sure everyone knows what they're listening to.
1: I don't think anyone understands yet what they're listening to.
0: This is a Patreon-exclusive, <laughs> stream-podcast-exclusive uh, episode for our patrons out there, for $5 patrons, for our old Lucy-level patrons.
1: Can you do it as old
0: Lucy? For our old Lucy-level
1: patrons. Oh, Ray. Right. <laughs> I'm the queen of comedy. Oh my sciatica! You want to bring on our
0: guest? Well, we are here with Brody Carn Esquire. Bro- <laughs> you may remember Brody from some of our previous uh, Patreon exclusive uh, uh, episodes, patrons. So,
1: Brody, uh, what do you have for us today? Well,
2: thanks for having me back for another one of these exclusive. Patreon episode. Hey, look, we would love to have you.
1: Your work, you know people are paying not for us, right? They're paying for Brody Carn Esquire. Oh, I know. That's why we appreciate Brody.
3: Brody Carn oh, yeah. Esquire. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He reminds me of a viral Gale Gordon. Oh, viral. Oh. Viral. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, You're nice. welcome.
2: Yes, yeah, so we're we're going to go back to the Gilded Age again today, fellas. Ooh. I love the Gilded you know, Age. There's so much going on at this time. That deserves to be remembered, or at least thought of from time to time. Okay, uh, so you know, contemplated before we, yeah. you go to bed. We've had uh, it we was re- there. We've recorded some other episodes that take place in that time, and we're gonna take a walk back there again. Can I ask you a question? It's yes. an honest,
1: legitimate question. Sure. Let's imagine, in the honor of the Gilded Aids mm-hmm. and H.G. Wells and all that fun stuff, Jules Verne. Imagine you had a time machine. Mm-hmm. You had yeah, a time machine. Where would you go?
0: I mean, I think '30s Hollywood.
1: Really? Yeah. So you could be with all the other closeted actors? (laughs) (laughs) So you could have some friends with Clark Gable and Wallace Beery? Yes. (laughs) And the Marx Brothers. The Marx Brothers weren't gay. I know. Well, that's what I want
0: to be around. And you just turned it into some closeted thing. I am not closeted.
2: (laughs) You're out and you're proud. Now, do you have like a cool transatlantic accent that you would take with you back to Hollywood in the 30s? That be cool. They'd probably be like, who's this jive boy? <laughs> well,
1: you know, upcoming, there is an episode on the history of the transatlantic accent. Oh, a yeah. little plug. Yes, and I taught Ray all about the transatlantic accent. Are
2: you able to do it yourself?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely I can.
2: Is that the transatlantic Exactly. I always do like FDR, like the Pearl Harbor speech. Like it's very similar because okay Yesterday, December 7th, 1941.
3: 1941
2: right? It's a day that will live in infamy. infamy. I
0: don't know. You do it, right? December 7th, 1941. <laughs> a day that'll live in infamy. Why is Nathan Lane Franklin Roosevelt? Because I feel like that's going to be... He would play a good Roosevelt. He would be.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. Play. Can you do anybody else besides Nathan Lane? Um, I'm Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> Hello.
3: Oh, that's... Feel like he's right. Are, <laughs> Are you looking at me, punk? Are you looking at me? Huh? Paison? <laughs> That's good, man.
1: Thank you. Anybody else?
3: <laughs> I'm Christopher! <laughs> Walking! Whoa! Wow! Wow!
0: Wow, you're good, man. Yeah, uh, With Christopher Walken, what you want to do is you want (laughs) to change the
1: punctuations. Oh, interesting. I hear that when he gets a script, he erases all the punctuation. Uh,
0: I heard that, too. Can't confirm it, but I heard it, and it makes sense.
1: Can you do, like, any women? Can you do, like, Hillary Clinton or somebody like that?
3: Donald Trump (laughs) would not make a very good president. Take it from me, a woman who lived in the White House and saw the day-to-day activities for eight years. (laughs) I also was a senator. (laughs) And the secretary of state. (laughs) I don't know what
1: state. That was great. Or
3: what state I'm in.
1: (laughs) that's great right that
0: i picked that i figured that one out in 2016 i thought i was gonna have some legs with it but that didn't work
1: (laughs) that's okay man but really nice work thank you so much yeah he's so such a talented impressionist what a what a find what a find we're very lucky we're very lucky the frank caliendo of uh, granada hills (laughs) Mm -hmm. is i think think actually is on your twitter right Yeah. (laughs) At Frank Cally and (laughs) And then 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 (laughs) (laughs) www.thiswasathing.com. Okay, so we've we've discussed which heiress everybody wants to live in, Um, but But, you are going to teach us today about what? Well, alas. We're
2: going back to the 1870s, 1880s. Back to the Gilded Age. The Gilded Age. The Gilded Age. Uh, which was actually a, a term made up by Mark Twain. Did you know that? Mark Twain said the Gilded Age. Yeah, and it's, it's G like gild, gold, gild, you know, like gilded. Like, yeah, ending, yeah, that's like, what I. Yeah. Luster on the surface, yeah. but nothing underneath. Yeah. Yeah, that was the term that Mark Twain came up with to describe that era. It's actually a great way of describing
1: it. Yeah, because you know, like that's they pretty
0: much called
2: weird words that he said.
1: Hmm. Twang. <laughs> oh. No, I'm just kidding. Can you do a Mark Twain?
3: Well, I grew up as a young man named Samuel Clemens. Then I found my voice. And it was part of a man named Mark, <laughs> Mark Twain. I decided that I wanted to write from the perspective of the young boys going up the old Mississippi Riverboats.
2: <laughs> well, while we're on it, I mean, I would pay to see Nathan Lane as Mark Twain in like in a, a, a biopic. Like,
3: yeah. like Hal Holbrook's Mark yes. Twain. Yeah, <laughs> now, now
1: Hal's gone, Nathan's yeah. taken yeah. over. Then roll. Ah,
3: howdy! <laughs> I'm but a poor writer. But there will be a ward named after me for my humor. Unfortunately, a lot of the things I didn't write in jest. But money people don't know that now. <laughs> Let me put on this cap So I really look like a steamboat captain <laughs>
1: Ow <laughs> This hat's too small <laughs> That's great Oh my you god so, much. so okay so,
2: so Samuel Clemens <laughs> He's on the Mississippi writing <laughs> Yes uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Nathan Lane, <laughs> Nathan as, Lane is Mark Mar- as Mark as Twain As Samuel Clemens as yes. Mark Twain <laughs> Yes Right Oh my God. What an act to follow.
0: (sighs) (laughs) Look, yeah. I've been working on this for a long time. So, besides
2: reading Mark Twain (laughs) in this time, you know, people didn't have a whole lot to do.
1: It was a gilded age. It was a
2: gilded age. You know, it was just the 1870s. Nothing happening. Simple, simple. Nothing happening. Nothing going on. No war anymore. No, 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 no. And, uh, And things were looking pretty good there. But then something happened that, and this is like a a brief blip in history that people were so into and then abandoned the idea of altogether. And that, my friend, is pedestrianism or race walking, like speed walk, you know, race walking.
1: And and just to be clear, when we say race walking, you mean we're going to have a competition about who walks the fastest? It could be one on
2: one. (laughs) It could be 15 people. And typically these contests would go on for about six days straight. Yeah, yeah. And so earlier on in the century and then even back into the 1700s, uh, competition walking was a thing. Um, One of the most famous pedestrians of like that early time in in England was uh, this guy named Robert Barclay Allardyce, and he was called the celebrated pedestrian of Stonehaven. The Michael Jordan of walking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't a lot to do. Yeah. <laughs> Pierre Salon walked so Michael Jordan could run. <laughs> the way this man left right,
2: left, right, left, right, left, right. Better than anyone else. Well, you know how running was actually invented was this guy tried to walk twice at the same time. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, hey, It's a little faster than a skip. <laughs>
1: I've right, I mean,
2: left my trot right behind. Right. <laughs> so this dude was walking uh, one mile every hour for a thousand hours that was like his his shtick
1: one mile
2: (laughs) every hour hour for a thousand hours right so walking one mile an hour not that fast but it was more about doing it for that extended period of time where where did he go couldn't get an uber yeah i know (laughs) actually in in parts of england like renting a helicopter is cheaper that would just could have solved that problem absolutely yeah
0: his rating was too low yeah
2: (laughs) <laughs> but, but what he did, I mean, this is back in, like, 1809 he did this. But what it did was it kind of started capturing public's, um, the public's imagination. And at his peak of his career, about 10,000 people would come out to watch on, the, like, the race course, if you will, of him uh, doing this, like, athletic challenge. And uh, there were attempts to repeat this challenge by some other pedestrians. George Wilson was one of them, uh, who attempted to walk that 1,000 miles in 480 hours in 1815 uh we'll never know if he actually got there because <laughs> he, he was like three quarters of the way done and he got arrested for disturbing the peace
1: what the what hell happened,
2: happened? For, well i don't know i don't know what happened but he was disturbing the peace of you know bone end or wherever he might have been <laughs>
1: for, what the hell was this man
2: doing <laughs> He was clanking
0: well, pots and pans. <laughs> he <the whole> time. <laughs> he He's might have been essential st- workers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he might have been starting to break into a bit of a canter. Oh yes, uh, you that know, could have scared people. That <laughs> well, that certainly would have been, been against the rules. Yeah, yeah. that would have been cheating. Oh, maybe that's that was disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace and tranquility of good sportsmanship. Can you imagine? Throw like him in the clink, People on the sidelines being like, "Oh, blimey, <laughs> I see that that bloke's breaking in a bit of a trot. He is. He's <laughs> not walking.
3: He's not walking. Well, that wa- that fellow's not walking right there." <laughs>
2: Break his legs, Army. <laughs> Liza the two lils walking about, she's like,
3: "Flowers, flowers. Oh, you're not walking. He's trotting. He's Extrordinary he geese. Arrest him, officer. Throw him in the clink. He's on the gins.
2: What done him in?" <laughs> My Fair Lady's actually playing in L.A., if I'm not mistaken, it is, it and I'm my... going on tonight as an understudy. Yes, and yeah. he's
1: going to be great, bro. He's going to be the best Eliza <laughs> Doolittle you've ever seen.
2: Oh, my God. I won't be a proper lady, on is.
1: <laughs> oh, I Lord, he won't tease the room somewhere. I didn't book. I don't know why. I thought I was delicate. <laughs> so this guy gets arrested for gets disturbing arrested. the peace.
2: That's just sort of the backdrop of where this, yes. this phenomenon kind of began, and people started knowing about it. So fast forward a little bit to the period that we're talking about, the mid to the end of the nineteenth century. Things all changed in 1859. There was this guy whose name was Edward Payson Weston. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Is this where we get the term setting the pace? I was. Gonna uh, ask. I
2: was... N- well, uh, I don't think so.
1: Okay, sorry, yeah, I don't uh, think from so.
2: Lee Pace, the actor.
1: <laughs> what movies were he was he in?
0: He in. I know he's in Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: Wasn't he in Mouse Hunt?
0: No, that's Lee something else.
1: Who else was in Mouse Hunt? Oh. <laughs>
3: there's a rodent
1: in this house. <laughs> Sorry, thank you so much. Lee oh. Evans. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, I can tell you stories of me and Lee. Uh, well, the director actually had us go on a trip to Barbados together so we could understand. Uh, well, there's also a huge rodent problem in Barbados, so he wanted us to leave it.
1: Yeah, George Clooney was in Mouse Hunt. Oh, I didn't know. That's good, man. Yeah.
2: Thank you. I thought that was uh, Edwin Booth, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Edwin Booth. Well, Richard III, you can call me Rick. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go back to Edward, Payson, Weston, who is uh, described as like this skinny 19-year-old, like not an athletic kind of
1: guy. So I describe myself on Scruff. 19. <laughs> athletic. <laughs> Guy. <laughs> Guy. He was a copy boy as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so he was w- actually working for the New York Herald. Not me.
3: <laughs>
2: I would never go to that trash. <laughs> yes. No, the Times are only. Times already did. But if you remember, in from one of our other episodes yes. about Arctic exploration, yes. the New York Herald was Plays a part. published by Gor- James Gordon Bennett Jr. Yes. Mm-hmm. James Gordon Bennett. So James Gordon Bennett Jr., just as a refresher, was like this... New York playboy with way too much money in his like, late 20s, and he was just spending it on all these sorts of publicity stunts, essentially.
1: And he's the one who used a piano as a urinal. Yes, he sure did that's in his remembered. girlfriend's parents' house. And that's why parent's the, the house. pianos are known as Andy Gums now.
2: Oh, is that so? <laughs> so this kid, Weston, Weston is working for the New York Herald, copy boy, and um, it, this paper ended up covering his career after this incident I'm about to describe. So... He was going to get a box of flowers from this delivery wagon, then he had to like send it off as a gift for his boss, but he forgot. And then the wagon sh- like showed up and then left again. And so he chased this wagon across Manhattan and ended up catching it. So Herald Square is where the Herald was, obviously, in 34th Street. Macy's. He made it all the way up to 70- 70th Street and caught it and was able to get that box of flowers. So he
1: ran from 34th Street to 70th Street. Yes. That's 36th Street. Yeah, that is, Rain Man. Good yeah. job.
2: Yeah. So he, he made that that journey, that quick journey, and uh, his colleagues were like pr- totally <laughs> wowed by the fact that he just did it so quickly because it was on its way out of town, and everyone was delighted, and the box went out to the guy's mistress or whomever it might have <laughs> been. And so the next day, he, he was awarded with double pay for these efforts. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Weston was a hero. Thank
0: you, Weston. I know.
2: Maybe broke up a marriage, but yeah, he was but a hero, okay. you know? Flowers got where they're supposed to go. And so at this point, he's, you know, again, there's not much to do. He's like, well, damn, like, my feet are carrying me everywhere pretty quickly. And this is where his career kind of changed. So his, his friends started to recognize that he was just generally like a speedy person <laughs> getting around. And the following year, of course, was the election of 1860. Uh, Abraham Lincoln would win that one, Uh, fun fact. But he was against uh, John Breckinridge. So Weston lost a bet with some of these friends. And they said, Weston, if if Lincoln wins, then you have to walk from here to Washington, D.C. to see the inauguration. You have to be there in time. So John Breckinridge lost, so did Weston. And he then found himself on the road on a ten day trek. But it kind of become became publicized with the New York Herald that he was speed walking to DC for the inauguration. And and he did it in in ten days. And so now he's like starting to become nationally famous. He's like in the newspapers right alongside the celebration of Abraham Lincoln being elected. Yeah. And so Then he realized that he could start making money by doing this. And he went up to Portland, Maine, and advertised all over town that he was going to walk from Portland, Maine, to Chicago in 25 days. Huh? Yeah. And so he did this on a $10,000 wager, and this is how he ended up making money, is by walking from, like, A to B in a certain amount of time. If I do it, you pay me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I would love that job.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So he then decided to to do this more locally. So this is like in the era when roller skating was just becoming a thing. And they were building these wooden roller rinks all around. So then he started walking around these oval-shaped skating rinks. And he was doing 100 miles in 24 hours. And he was charging everyone that wanted to see him do it 10 cents for admission. Yeah. Smart man. I, he just were walking, right? Smart, just smart man. Just like moving man. as quickly as possible with your own two legs. So he was so good at, at, at staging these walking expositions, as they were called, that these competitors started popping up. Of course. And uh, there's this Irish guy, Daniel O'Leary, who ended up outpacing him uh, in, in life and in this sport. And he challenged him. He, and you have a fantastic Irish accent. Oh so God. challenge me to the, the World Series Walking Cup in Chicago.
3: I am but a man from <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> Daniel O'Leary, I have come on a ship all the way from Dublin I have to challenge you, Mr. Pace Weston, to a walk off me laddie.
2: So Weston versus O'Leary for the walking championship of the world. They were advertising this. It became a huge thing. And this is really the birth of that sport, that short-lived sport in the 1870s, 1880s. So they planned a 500-mile race. And in this arena in Chicago, it had a capacity of about, of about 10,000 people per night. But it's a 24-hour race, so you can sell tickets all day, all night, and just keep the doors revolving. So they estimated that there were about 100,000 people that came to see these two walk against each other for the entire week. How many? 100,000 people. And you know, for that whole week, because it was a 500-mile race, do you know what the music they played?
3: When I wake up, and I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man no next to you. And I wouldn't walk by 500 miles, and I wouldn't walk, and there goes Weston Pace, <laughs> who baby,
1: So somebody has Tourette's? No, they just played that song. Oh.
2: So it was just after midnight on Monday, November 15th, 1875 is when the race started around one o'clock in the morning. Do you know why? No. Because there were blue laws at the time that prohibited any athletic events from happening on Sundays. So they, that's why these races could only last for six days. Max. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they started at like at 1 a.m. on Monday. Wow. That's typically when these races would start. So and then you just, you know, if you didn't finish by stroke of midnight Saturday into Sunday, you're out. Or That was as many miles as you could accumulate. But, yeah. So this interstate exposition building in Chicago, I mean, you can picture the scene. It's 1875. It's smoky. There's like big patriotic banners there's spectators just swarming in this place there are hundreds of people trying to like get a glimpse it didn't have like grandstands so yeah. people were just like literally lined up on the side of this race course trying to get a good shot and uh, and there was only these two guys but they were legends at this point they were already legends and so you're looking at these two athletes one of them is wearing like this black velvet suit with black boots and a silk sash and everything and then the other one Was wearing white tights and a striped tank top. A much more sensible look, if you ask me. Uh,
1: What was the guy first guy wearing? He was wearing
2: like a black velvet suit with tall black boots. And it looks
0: like
3: the
2: one guy
0: is the first person to introduce athleisure wear into the competition. (laughs)
1: People in New Jersey that are Italian will be rejoicing. (laughs)
2: So they're stretching, they're getting ready to go, and then finally the mayor of Chicago comes out to announce the race. And this was a big deal. It sort of added to the spectacle yeah. of the whole thing. They played the national anthem. There are bands playing, and he's, he's the official that's starting the race, and he's, one, two, three, go, and shot the gun, and they went off. Now, it's a walking race. So a lot of excitement after that gunshot. Yeah, yeah, but here's the thing is Weston had his own style. It wasn't just like... One foot in front of the other. They called it the Weston wobble, and in fact, sometimes they called them Weebly Wobbly Weston.
1: How did Mr. Weston walk?
2: It was a it was a wobble. There's no video of it, so it's hard to say these days. But it was Do sort of a Weston wobble. Hey, yeah, it was this idiosyncratic uh, walk that you could gain more ground without breaking into a trot.
0: You may get into this. Have you seen the speed walking in the Olympics? Yes. It, I feel like kind of how... Have you ever seen it? No. It's like a group of people, and they're all almost like going in unison mm-hmm. in sync. So like shifting as a group. from side to side. Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of how they do it. And so I'm curious if that's kind... Because, I mean, mm. it's one of the oddest things, and I didn't really even know about it until the recent Olympics. Yeah. And just it was like one of those things on Twitter, like, <laughs> what? It's is, nuts. And, like, people, like, I mean, enough people train to get into the Olympics to do it, but it's just so funny. Like,
2: now I picture... That, that odd, same kind of wobble, yeah. right This was a little bit different because there, I'll get to it, but there were rules that were created oh, to like sort of standardize the practice of walking. yeah and at this time it wasn't. So these O'Leary and Weston were had completely different styles. Chicago at the time had a pretty big influx of Irish population. And so O'Leary was obviously the huge favorite and sort of that um, newly arrived immigrant kind of crowd. So he had a whole bunch of he was like the hometown favorite. Yeah, essentially. Um, So they get going. And uh, and then his adversary, you know, Weston, he was like a New Englander and he often raced in flashy outfits. But he'd made his name when he did the Portland to Chicago thing. He also had been making money longer. He kind of became wealthy. He made that ten thousand bucks, but I mean, he was like a blue-blooded Yankee. So there was, it's almost like the musical ragtime, right, where you have like all the factions, and that's what yeah, I'm yeah, picturing. Yeah. Um, so this was also just a few years after the Great Fire of 1871.
1: Mrs O'Leary's in cow. Chicago. Yeah, Mrs
2: O'Leary's cow, right? So since then, the. Irish population had kind of a bad rep, there yeah, because it was an Irish woman, you know, who owned the cow who al-
3: allegedly caused the fire.
1: Which I never really appreciated because the Scott, the cow was from Poland.
3: He was. He was. You can tell I'm from Poland because my last name has Ski
1: <laughs> Kowski Kowski. <laughs> it's utterly ridiculous. <laughs> oh.
3: I was in a bad mood after they blamed me for that. (laughs) I had a a me! (laughs) (laughs) A cow! (laughs) I had a cow!
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) So, anyway, so then, (laughs) yeah, so O'Leary and the cow became this scapegoat-blaming immigrants for all of this bad stuff that was happening, and it was like a xenophobic, you know, population there, but... And so the tension between these two factions had just only grown worse. And so O'Leary, Dan O'Leary, at that point, found himself sort of in the middle of that divide and had the weight of his community on his back at this point. And he was walking his way to glory, you might say. So later that week, around uh, 11.15 on that, that last night, O'Leary completed his 500th mile in this race. And uh, once he crossed the finish line this this arena erupted in cheers, men were throwing their hats up in the air, the band started playing, O'Leary's wife greeted him there with a huge basket of flowers, and it was, he, he stopped for a second, caught his breath, and continued walking, just to kind of prove a point. And so, when the clock struck midnight, which, of course, you couldn't be competing in athletic events anymore after midnight because it was Sunday, he had completed 503 total miles, whereas Weston had only finished 451.
1: Oh, damn. Yeah,
2: they, were, they both took home some pretty nice chunks of change. Sure, and so, some cramps. Yeah, yeah. So O'Leary was now, like, the new famous guy, right? But there was also a, a gentleman that was called Frank Hart, who was a Haitian immigrant from Boston, and he won a big race in 1880. And the reason why he was so celebrated was this was a time when African Americans and and Haitian Americans and people of color weren't even offered like full citizenship, right? So he kind of became this beacon of hope for also marginalized people. Frank Hart. Frank Hart was his name. Yeah, and he was. Some people say he was the most famous athlete of the late 19th century. So these athletes, including Frank Hart and Weston and O'Leary, they were kind of becoming celebrities. And like this whole thing was a, was turning into big business. Like there were corporate sponsorships involved. Um, they had, uh, you know, other athletes that would attend the match, but that weren't competing and became like spokespeople for, you know, brand names at the time that were emerging. I mean, they were selling like Roasted chestnuts and pickled eggs as like nice little munchies. Chestnuts nice. roasting on an open fire.
1: Pickled eggs. Got your pickled <laughs> eggs
2: here. Lots of beer being dispensed. Mm. You know, this was in Chicago and New York, uh, and there was military bands. You know, there were politicians there, and it was this extravagant, uh, like you'd think, like a wrestling belt, like a trophy belt. They were giving those out. It actually, the national championship became the O'Leary belt. That's really what it was called the O'Leary belt.
1: Yep. Do they still have this competition? They don't. They Let's don't. bring it back, people. Yeah.
2: They lost the belt. Oh. There's some historians that uh, compare this to like a week-long NASCAR race among oh. Oh, just people. Wow. You know? Okay. And like that was kind of the the vibe of the people that were showing up to these. It was like a patriotic like America like a nightmare. <laughs> we walk race. Yeah. And they like s- these guys were on the track for six. Almost seven days, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they couldn't walk twenty-four hours. What they would do Isn't is I they say. would generally walk like twenty-one hours, and they would have little cots set up on the side and take a nap. So it's kind of not so a you very could exciting watch them sleep. Part. Too. Yeah, you could. <laughs> That's well, pretty nice. You know, like what they had on beaches back in like the Roaring Twenties with the tents, oh, yeah. they had, like, yeah, little yeah, tents. Yeah. So you really yeah. couldn't get a get a glimpse of them sleeping, unfortunately.
0: Mm, time for them to sleep. Time for me to
2: eat more pickled eggs. Nap, nap, night, yeah. night. Yeah. Chester Arthur became a huge fan of this, and he came to these races. Chester, Chester Allen Arthur, Arthur yeah. the
1: president of the United States. That's right, and
2: General Tom Thumb. Wow! wow right, a General. Direct from <laughs> the military. Band. Barnum and Bailey's. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. the
1: Barnum and Bailey Division of the United States Military. That's yes, right. General Tom
2: Thumb. It was. Yes, it was the Marine Corps actually. Oh, I'm sorry. No, um, but yeah. So people were coming to see these celebrity athletes, and it was popular for a few reasons. People think right. This was a time when before the civil war there was like this work ethic that was pretty rigid you know you think of like the kids in the factory working like 18 hours a day that sort of thing the good old days (laughs) after the civil war though people were able to have like a little bit more like leisure became more of a thing and and this sort of style of entertainment of going to sporting events and um as we discussed on the other thing uh you know, polo was becoming yep. uh, famous, tennis. Yeah, Ralph Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph Lauren. <laughs> and so you've got to take that into the context, too. And so it was also a 24-hour race. So if you worked a late shift like at a factory, you could get out of work, and they'd still be racing at, like, midnight, and you can go for a couple of hours, pay your 10 cents or whatever it was, and get in, have a nice pickled egg and some chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's kind of like a my of Saturday beer. night. Yeah, I just imagine, like,
0: compulsive gamblers at the factory, like, all right, I got to get off and watch some walk. (laughs) O'Leary,
2: I heard, has got a couple extra
0: extra miles Slow down, O'Leary.
2: Wobble, wobble, wobble. (laughs) (laughs) So there became a little bit of a scandal involved in this, right? Yeah, a little bit of a scandal. A doping scandal. O'Leary had three legs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He had wheels for feet. No, that's just a cow and it's missing one. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! wonder I kicked it all I was mad <laughs> <laughs> what there was so a doping, a doping scandal? scandal in 1876 and guess who was at the center of it O'Leary Weston wow Weston. yeah I'm meant he was to a doper yeah he was a doper he he was like a lot of he was a showy kind of guy he was like the original one that made this popular in the first place and so just when like you you think it couldn't get more exciting he was doing these races you know these 500 mile races and he would like, be playing a cornet the entire time <laughs> uh-huh. yeah right but so what happened was in 1876 he was found out by the the judges to be chewing cocoa leaves while he walked.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, of course he was right. I was even gonna say it was. Is doing, that cocaine? Yeah, cocoa leaves. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
2: So like this you could chew on was, that. Back, the indigenous yeah. people
0: used to chew on that back yeah. in the day as like a way to like get a little extra energy. Mm. Like okay, like before it was like oh this is a drug. So hmm. this
2: dude was just doped up on cocaine <laughs> yeah, oh my for God. a week. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. And just cooking, playing get, a coronet.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's just so sweaty.
1: <laughs> just, <laughs> Do you think maybe that's what was
2: going on with the dance mania from the well, previous episode? It could have been. I mean, he was no match for O'Leary, so what was O'Leary on? So, oh, yeah. You know? O'Leary was on meth. match. O'Leary was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. O'Leary traveled with his bathtub at all times just so he could make his newest batch. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he got accosted by, for this, right, by the race officials. And guess what his response was? My doctor prescribed it to me. <laughs> like uh, Fucking What if I were?
1: Yeah. Ah! <laughs> 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 Gotta catch me!
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! So as a result of that, <laughs> they tried to organize things a little bit, and they created what's called the heel to toe rule. So the wobble was out. They can now, still do you drugs. You had to do heel to toe. Could be <laughs> doped up on cocaine. Uh, and you could now only do the heel to toe rule. So the heel to toe thing was kind of like what it sounds like. It's like, uh, your toe of your backmost foot had to still be on the ground when your heel of your foremost foot was just touching the ground. Like you, it rather than like kind of a jog or a wobble around. It's like the moonwalk. Yeah. But other way. Yeah. And this all kind of came about because of the wobble that, uh, our drug addict friend was doing over here wobbly wobbly, yeah. wobbly wobble you know what's interesting though is one of the things that they allowed for for a stimulant was champagne oh of course and in almost every one of these races that i've read about the guys were pretty much hammered like it's like in the my sister just ran the chicago marathon today and i just imagine like when she comes for like a water stop you know after like mile eight and it, she just downs like a bottle of champagne. Yeah, Ooh, and they would drink dumb. it by the bottle when they stopped.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, of course, that dude was coked out of his brain. He's yeah, gotta do something to
2: mellow him out. Right. Yeah. So these guys pretty much became professional celebrity athletes, and like kids were looking up to them as heroes as well. This is <laughs> these when this is that when we're walking. Yes, that's right. But this is when trading cards became a thing. <laughs> I'm serious. They <laughs> would be on the on like the backs of cigarette packages. And people would cut them out and and trade. I also just imagine, like... And coming now from Jordan
0: brand, the Air O'Leary walking (laughs) shoes.
2: (laughs) Be just like
0: your favorite Irish walker on the hardwood rounded floor. Also comes with coca.
1: Easier to put on. Now we only have 20 holes for your laces.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now you don't have to use one of those tools
1: to lace up your shoes. (laughs) All comfort. Oh, boy, look at those kicks. <laughs> you can do heel to toe in those, but no wobbly, wobbly, wop. Nope, 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 nope. And if you remove the side pouches, room for your bunions. Coming up next, the Weston Pace Pumps. <laughs> From Reebok. <laughs> and don't forget our ad campaign for the O'Leary's Oh No's. <laughs> Oh no's walking. That's all Ono's. <laughs> <laughs> Bono's campaign, anyone? No, never mind. Okay.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, I'm with you now. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm with you now. Sorry, thank you. Sonny Bono? No, remember the Bono's campaign from the early 90s? No. Yeah, but it was Bo Oh
0: Bo, oh yes, Bono's.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like Bono's baseball, Bono's basketball. Yeah. Jokes are funny when you explain them. I remember do you remember the the nose biopic with Nathan Lane? <laughs> I I started off as a cross-country runner.
3: But then I realized the second I picked up a bat, oh, I had much more than the legs underneath me. I had my upper body. Yes, it was strong. I can't think of
0: this fucking guy's name. Sorry god. Bo Diddley? No. No. No.
1: Bo
3: Diddley. He was a jazz
1: singer, right? Yes.
3: I was also that part. (laughs) Oh, let me tell you about the jazz scene. In the 1920s, I was doing heroin through my eyelids. (laughs) Through my eyelids. A little trick I learned from someone you may know, Miss Billie Holiday. (laughs) Billie Holiday. (laughs) Billie Holiday. That is a fact about Mindy Holiday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so they're selling trading wow. cards. Wow, yeah, trading, oh,
2: yeah, trading cards. Kids are looking up to these guys, and uh, and then th- not only that, but like these backyard rivalries started happening, almost like in boxing. They're wrestling nowadays, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, like pay-per-view, and you're watching... i don't, not a boxing man. What, what are the
1: guys' names? Like Evander <laughs> yeah. Holyfield. Ask yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, Rob the boxing
0: fan. Yeah,
1: sure, sure. Uh, Vander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, uh, Logan Paul, uh, George Foreman, Chris
0: Paul, or no, uh, uh, Logan Paul's brother, Joe Jake Paul. Lewis,
1: Max Schmeling. Come on, that's a real person, Max. Schmeling. Raging Bull. <laughs> Raging. Jake LaMotta. Yeah, that was. He's a boxer. Yeah, okay, and a boxing. Yeah, you know who played him? Robert De Niro.
3: Robert De Niro. Ah, <laughs> oh, I can't get another punch in the face. <laughs> Ray,
1: shut off Raging Bull, okay?
3: I I'm get... sorry. <laughs> Let me tell you, working with Marty on this one was just a real treat. Marty decided he wanted to go black and white for the picture, as opposed to what was popular at the time, color. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: Oh. Thanks for sharing.
3: He's an tour
1: <laughs> Like Jerry Lewis. Oh, Jesus.
2: So you know what, what one of the kind of cool aspects of this this fad if or if you will of this sport was that it encouraged female involvement as well ah, and, cool. yeah and so you know this is a time when there were all of these wacky theories about the women the female reproductive system and and of course men came up with this idea that it would be disturbed or contorted or injured if women exerted too much yeah. in exercise right and so this was like one of the first outlets for women to become athletes Mm. and so we talked
1: about that a little bit on our jazzercise episode which was our first episode i
2: thought about that actually when i was researching this because there I, i think maybe there's a there isn't a connection but it seems that there might it might be like the descendant of this idea.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah but you're, but just underlining your point, which is that yeah, women were told do not right because it's going to screw up your reproductive organs, and if you don't, if you can't have babies, what's the point?
2: And jazzercise, I forget when that was in like the sixties, seventies that it came the about.
1: Se- the seventies is when it was really taking off, but then the eighties is when it became like an international sensation. So a hundred years mm-hmm. after this, and there's still right. which is incredible which is just incredible. Yeah. But these women, even though they were doing it, I'm sure were being looked at by a lot of guys in society saying, you know, you don't want to... Why do you want to be looked at as quote-unquote sure. masculine?
2: Yeah, they they kind of were, in a way, uh, outcasts. You yeah. know, like they, they weren't living the typical Orthodox yeah. feminine life in uh, 19th century America. One of the most famous of these these ladies was... Uh, her name was Bertha von Hillern, who was born in Prussia, and then she came to the United States... Uh, in 1877 in order to sort of participate in these races.
1: Now, from Prussia to America, did she walk? She swam part of the way. Mm, Thank you, Prussia. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's beautiful, Prussia. That's
2: beautiful, (laughs) Prussia. And so she also spent her time, when she wasn't racing, advocating... Athletic exercises for women, and she appeared like in all of these public competitions to encourage female involvement. Wow! And when the bicycle was invented, she was like going around the country giving demonstrations on cycling for women as well. And this is the bunny hop. <laughs> <laughs> what? The bunny hop on a bicycle—it's like no. an
0: ollie. <laughs> but when you get both tires off the, do not know bicycling. Thank you, Bertha. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going around. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ding ding, bye bye.
2: <laughs> so Marshall
0: Funny won with
1: 234
2: miles, but then Bertha wasn't gonna take that shit, and she challenged her to a rematch in
1: New York. Bertha's usually dumb, based Coming on right
2: now. Yeah, come on in, Bertha. So Bertha turned the tables, probably with the cocaine and the champagne, <laughs> yeah.
1: and she ended up
2: winning with 323 and a half miles. And uh, Marshall mysteriously had some trouble with her feet right before the race. Love Bertha to death. <laughs> Wonder what
1: happened. Bertha mm-hmm. Bertha mm-hmm. tied her
2: arrow leeries together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How am I going to untie this? Mm. There's forty hoops. <laughs> so then,
2: in 1880, there was a world championship race for gold, silver, and diamond championship belts in San Francisco, and this was a, a top female event race. So uh, Amy Howard of New York set a new world record of 24 hours of ni- doing 95 miles in 24 hours, 410 miles, 251 yards for six days, by and beating Sarah Tobias, who also covered over 400 miles And, and when it was all said and done. Uh, Nuts, right? I can't believe yeah. that question.
1: How do these people not?
0: Yeah. Well, you said gold, silver, and diamond. Gold, silver, and diamond. Was the diamond where the bronze would be, or was diamond the I number don't know. One? What it, I the, don't know. I've just yeah, never done it. I don't know, know what before. the hierarchy like, was. It just
1: sounds Diamond sounds like it'd be better you than everything. I think diamond yeah. would
0: be better than gold.
2: Yeah. So throughout this, uh, the big part of it was side betting on these athletes. Oh, of course, right? yeah. This was the origin of modern sports betting as we know <laughs> it today. And like fantasy football can thank this sport of pedestrianism for all of these like betting saloons and What's betting bars. What's the over bars? under on Mary Marshall?
0: <laughs> Ten to <amount> one odds. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: Depends on if that ingrown toenail is healed. <laughs> I say she does two
0: fifty one and three quarters. She's got a corn there that bothers her.
2: <laughs> Ooh, okay.
0: Hmm. Handicapped, so, handicapped.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's that's where that all of that comes that's from. Like so Super Bowl, crazy. you know, like
1: Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are they called? The squares. Like the brackets and stuff. Yeah, fantasy? the brackets. Yeah. Thank you. Who do yeah. you
0: think's gonna be the halftime entertainment at this job
1: show? Maybe. Uh, Laura Keene. <laughs> Laura Keene will come and do a monologue. Wow. Hello, I'm Laura Keene.
3: <laughs> How do you like this walking? <laughs> no? All right, enjoy your pickled eggs. <laughs> Tip your waiters, just don't push them too hard. <laughs>
2: uh. <laughs> oh my god. So they had that big championship in, uh, in San Francisco, but by the, the next year, March of 81, this sport f- was pretty much over, mm. like, uh, as quickly as it began. And wow. It was the final years of the O'Leary belt. Um, Dan O'Leary had set this whole thing up, uh, who took the, the, the race course, I guess, and the New York Times was there to report and it had fallen so out of favor that the New York Times described these six uh, competitors as six miserable wretches toiling wearily around the track in front of a meager crowd not sufficient either in numbers or enthusiasm to encourage the six men. And part of this was that all these celebrity pedestrians had started to retire, right? They're getting too old. And they got to get out of the sport. And public interest, because they retired, had vanished. The venues were like pretty much empty during the day, and at night it was like a 10% of what it used to be. The Times said, quote, this fact points to an inevitable conclusion that the people are at length awakened to the fact that walking matches, if they are not hippodromes, in the worst sense of the word, are brutal exhibitions at best and ought not to be tolerated in a civilized community. Oh my god! So people were kind of fed up because I mean, like these people were collapsing, you know, through the races and like dehydrated, downing champagne, like chewing on cocoa leaves, you know. It was just, I was like watching a gladiator contest almost.
1: Pandemonium! Yeah.
2: Another another reason why this sort of fell off was because the bicycle was invented, uh. and people were <laughs> much more interested in the fast two wheel races of the day. I understand yeah, that, right? <laughs> yep. Baseball was also really becoming a thing nationally. The National League was founded in 1876, so people started going to America's new pastime, which was baseball. And so we go back to Weston and O'Leary, who were like the greatest of the greats. They never stopped, even into old age. So in 1913, when Weston was 74, he walked from New York to Minneapolis, and he sold 10-cent souvenir programs along the way to raise money. And O'Leary kind of monetize the baseball situation. And he became a traveling baseball pedestrian. And he staged all of these competitions where he, before games, he would challenge some of the ballplayers to run around the bases twice while he walked around them once. And he would like always win, even in his old age. He still had it. Wow. Yeah. And so then he would pass through the stands. And this is kind of sad, but he would like beg for money and like ask for nickels here and there to subsidize uh, his his pay. Oh. Yeah so they, these two guys, like, you know they were like the biggest in the sport, and they went head to head in like the first big race, and they really kicked it off and so like these two old men with this this dying livelihood, you know, it's kind of a sad end to the story, and that is life a very moved sad on, end. yeah, but it, this this whole thing really uh translates to like the modern decathlon or sure. you know the ultra marathons and and just endurance long, long long distance, long term. Uh, races and uh, those sort of found their genesis in this very brief but very concentrated, very strange pastime American pastime.
1: And then once bicycles came in and once other pastimes came in, that the, the this thing just became obsolete, absolutely pretty much. It's more exciting to watch the fastness yeah. of a bicycle than it is. Old James
2: Naismith put a peach basket up against a board, that's right, it's true, in the 1890s. Well, at Ray, as you were saying though, it's still a sport in the Olympics. Well, yeah, that's, you know? I mean, there yeah, are
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I really
2: did think, like, I thought that this, I mean, there had to
0: have been someone going like, oh, we could still do this because, I mean, it really is, I feel like the Winter Olympics has more, like, odd things that you go yeah. like, whoa, that's an odd sport, but that was, like, the thing that during the Summer Olympics where I saw highlights, I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And it's a mass of people. I feel like if one person really kind of, like, starts wiggling the wrong way, it could screw everyone else up. And yeah. it's like, and then how do you break off from that to, right. like, when then i don't yeah. know it's like it's a full marathon i don't know it's so crazy yeah
2: and if, if if you've never seen the speed walking races it's almost like in the winter olympics with the speed skating you know yeah. how like their arms are yeah. always kind of in yes, sync in their yeah. i always think like how do you pass somebody yeah. when you're when you're doing pretty much the exact same movement yeah. but
1: uh, it's pretty impressive it is very it's pretty impressive. impressive i had no idea this was even an activity that was so revered in yeah. this country yeah i
0: didn't know that it went that far back, I just remember thinking, "Oh, that's a, that's goofy looking."
1: But then you have to think at that time because there was so little for entertainment. Anything could possibly oh,
0: absolutely
1: be engaging for individuals. Yeah, and I'm wondering, like when they did their, you, you know, their six days across from location to location, they slept. I'm assuming, right? They. Yeah, uh,
2: not for tents. very long. Yeah. Yeah, um, not for very long. But
1: they could e- maybe do a little nourishment and a little rest yeah. and then get back on yeah. the road. Little, a little champagne. A you know. little champagne. That's really all you needed. Yeah. What was that, Ray? What did they need? Uh, they were eating oh. sausages. Oh, Ray, Ray made some sort of gesture, and I couldn't figure out what they were doing, but mm. it's eating sausages. Oh, yeah, that's a kielbasa. So, that's a kielbasa. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a kielbasa. Mm-hmm. Brody, thank you so much oh, thank for, you for, having me. for educating us once again. I had again. no idea about this. Yeah, no. be- Ray, based on what I know about your athletic prowess, <laughs> this might be the place for you.
0: Look, I've been...
1: See if the Parks and Rec have a walking class. <laughs> it's true. I actually have a tango class. I have to still audit. Your tango? <laughs> yeah. Me tango. Me tango. Your tango, me tango. Yeah. But Brody, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Next time... You know what? I'm going to be really proud of myself. Next time I walk, I'm going to tell people I'm athletic. In fact, I do my sport every day. (laughs) Some people don't.
0: Dedication. I do. Some people walk without something in their ear. I walk listening to a complete soundtrack
1: per walk. Oh, yes, I do. I know. Nothing like hairspray to motivate you (laughs) to get from my chair... To the driveway. Whoa, oh, oh, I need to wobble. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, buddy. Thanks again, Brody. Thank Thank you you so
2: much, guys.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, Rob. I love you. I love you. I was audience, but I love you too. Oh, and I love our Patreon listeners. Thank you, patrons
1: exclusives. Go take a walk. (laughs) (laughs) Go take a walk in a nice way. And before we go, a final word from the President of the United States, President Joe Biden. Come on, ma'am.
3: Come on, ma'am. Oh. Kamala!